It is a great joy and honor and privilege to be gathered with you on this Resurrection Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from the dead. The most significant day, the most significant event in, in human history for the people of God, for without Jesus' resurrection from the dead, as Paul described in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, then our preaching and our our faith is useless. And we Christians are liars. This story, this event, the central story of the Word of God is either true or it is not. And if it is true, then then we must stake our lives upon it. We must build our lives on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If it is not true, if it is false, then our, our gathering together this morning is meaningless, is useless. I'm here this morning to stand before you to proclaim from God's Word to you the the message of the cross and the message of the subsequent resurrection of Jesus from the dead is indeed true and it is worthy of our lives. God is worthy of all of us. He is worthy of our devotion. He is worthy of are gathering together in His honor, in His presence this morning. This morning we could spend a great deal of time talking about wise reasons to believe in the validity of the story based on human reasoning and the Word of God, but that's not our task this morning. There's certainly a time and place for that. Rather, I want to proclaim this morning from God's Word the beautiful message that I believe is at the heart of God's Word, and that is the message of the cross and the message of the resurrection. And in order to do that, I want to look at two two passages of Scripture primarily together, one from the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and the other from the New Testament letter that Paul wrote to the Romans. But both of these contribute to one unified, overarching, connected story of redeeming love that is found in God's Word together. And as we look at God's Word for the next few minutes together, I want to go ahead and communicate what I believe the central truth that we will see from God's Word is today, and it is that the God who has demonstrated His great love for us invites us to demonstrate our great love for Him. God who has demonstrated His great love, His incredible love, His magnificent love for us, invites us to to demonstrate our great love for Him. I invite you to open up a Bible with me, to look with me at God's Word, as I believe there's great significance in looking at the words of Scripture together. Genesis chapter 22, first book of the Bible. And if you don't have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your phone or your tablet, then let me encourage one, you to, to grab one around you. Are there a number of Bibles in the pew racks around you? And if you don't have a Bible, at home, a personal Bible, let me encourage you to take this Bible. Take it, use it, read it, learn it, digest it, apply it, for it contains words of life. We'll certainly replace it. If you're using a pew Bible, I believe it's page 16 that we find Genesis chapter 22 together. But as you are turning to Genesis, the 22nd chapter, I want to I catch us up to speed as to just what is happening as we enter into this portion of God's story. We've been studying the book of Genesis together as a church family for several weeks now, and we have seen that 
This ancient man, Abraham, who we know of, we've heard of. Important figure in the Bible that plays a great role in our faith. Abraham was promised a tremendous blessing, promised by God that his name would be great, that his descendants would be numerous, that all nations of the earth would be blessed through his descendants. And for some time now, for a quarter of a century, for 25 years, Abraham and his his wife, Sarah, have been waiting on the fulfillment of these promises. At least concerning their descendants, it is as if the promises of God that have been made by God to them are just not happening. And then all of a sudden now, Genesis chapter 21, the chapter just before we enter the story today, the promised child is born. The long-awaited son, Isaac, whom God had promised, is born. Now we pick up the story in chapter 22. Genesis 22, beginning... In verse 1, God's word reads this way. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. What? God, are, are you serious? I want us to pause for a minute and, and think about what Abraham must have been feeling as he heard this request, this command from his God. He had waited and waited and waited on the birth of this son, and now God is asking him to sacrifice this son. It's a burnt offering to him. And it's, it's not as if God doesn't know what he's asking here. His language makes very clear. Take, take your son, your only son, whom you love. And oh yeah, that's Isaac. And sacrifice him to me. In Moriah. This is a hard, a hard command. A difficult request, a somewhat illogical and unreasonable request from God. After all, this seemed to contradict what God had been saying all along and promising all along to Abraham. And the truth behind what God is, is requesting here is that God expects our all. The God of the Bible, the God that we gather in the name of this morning, the God that we are here to worship today expects our all. Expects everything from us. This is difficult for us. This is not an easy truth for us to to grapple with. Or or it's not in our nature to to give up everything. Control of everything. Ambitions. Pursuits. Our lives out of devotion to God. This goes against our very nature. For we don't like to hear that life is not all about us. And our wishes and our pursuits. Our dreams. Our aspirations. Sometimes I think we like to substitute something else for all. I don't know what you think of when you think of the word substitute, but one of the things that comes to my mind is uh, a backup. Something that we give or something that's available when the regular thing or the real thing is, is not available. Sometimes I wonder if we don't substitute Sundays for all. God expects our Sundays. Perhaps many of us take it 
even a step further than that, that God expects our Easter Sundays. God expects our Easter Sundays, not our fall. Expects our allegiance every now and then, our devotion every now and then. For others of us, perhaps it's a moment of prayer each day before we quickly consume a bite to eat or a moment of prayer at night when we lay kids down to bed. But the reality is the God of Scripture, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God that we are gathered in the name of this morning expects our all. And before we are too quick to say that God, man, that God back then, he was hard. He was tough. He had high expectations and demands. Let's not forget that this was the same call of Jesus Christ. This was the same word from Christ when he told his followers in Luke chapter 14, verses 26 and 27, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That's a a big demand, a big request. That doesn't leave much room for us to keep things for ourselves. The God of Scripture demands all from us. He expects our all. He is worthy of our all. He expects to be first in line in our lives. He expects our allegiance to be to Him first because He is worthy, because He is our Creator, He is our Maker, He is our Lord, He is our God. And after all, would a God really be such a great God if He expected anything less? He required anything less from His people. He is God. And an important question for all supposed followers of Jesus Christ, and certainly for all of us gathered here this morning, is is faithfulness to God the first priority in our lives? Is faithfulness to God the first priority in your life? Is faithfulness to God the first priority in my life? What Abraham was being asked to do here was to give up what was nearest and dearest to him. What was most loved by him. What was most important to him. God was to ask you, to ask me to give up what is nearest and dearest to us. What would he ask for? Perhaps it would be a relationship. Perhaps it would be a lake house, or perhaps it would be college football, or perhaps it would be a favorite hobby or interest that sort of takes over our lives at certain times of the year. But if God was to ask us to give up what is most important in our lives to Him, how would we respond? Would we be able to give it up? Is faithfulness to God your first priority? Abraham trusted God. He obeyed God. He proved by his actions here in the rest of this chapter that faithfulness to God was indeed the first priority in his life. And faithful believers trust and obey God. According to the word of God, faithful believers trust and obey God. Look back at Genesis chapter 22 as we pick up the story in verse 3. So God has shown up to Abraham and said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering to me on the mountain I will show you. Verse 3, pick up the story. Early the next morning. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And 
He himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, said to Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered in verse 8, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place of God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Folks, Abraham was tested by God and his actions proved that he trusted God even in a circumstance of not understanding God. Two things that Abraham knew. He knew that God had promised a future around Isaac. And now Isaac has come and God is requesting Isaac to be sacrificed, to be killed. And these things certainly didn't line up. These were not in coherence with each other. There was contradiction here. How was Abraham to understand this? Well, he did not understand this, but he trusted and he obeyed. You see, God doesn't desire simply to be something we add to our lives. He desires to be our lives. He doesn't desire to be an additive like we would add a glaze on an Easter ham or a whipped topping on a strawberry pie or sugar to our coffee. No, God desires to be our lives And our devotion to Him ought to be primary. ought to be above everything else that that we love and do. Abraham certainly was not a perfect man. We know that. We know that there were many instances in which he doubted God and did not act in a way that was pleasing to God. But here, in this instance, the greatest test of his life, a moment of personal spiritual crisis, Abraham displayed trust and obedience to God. One thing that is completely empty from the story, empty from the account of the story, the recorded account of the story is Abraham's feelings and his thoughts. We don't, we don't have any window into what he was thinking or why he was doing what he was doing, but we have to imagine that the preparations for this three-day three day journey and this journey itself must have been absolutely agonizing. For Abraham, as he did not understand what he was being called to do, yet he obeyed quickly early the next morning. Does your life demonstrate obedience to God? Does your life as a believer in Jesus, as a believer in the God of this book, His Word, the Bible, does it demonstrate obedience to God like Abraham's life demonstrated obedience to God? When God says move, do you move? When God says, bow, do you bow? When God says, give, do you give? When God calls you to go, do you go? When God says to serve, do you serve? When God calls you to believe, do you believe? Reality, according to the Word of God, according to the Bible, is that God invites us, all of us, to submit to Him, to submit to His Lordship, to give our lives to Him. Does your life demonstrate obedience to God and does your life display trust in God? Does your life demonstrate obedience to God? Does your life display trust in God? Look back at verse 7 of Genesis chapter 22 and see what Abraham's response is to this question that his son Isaac asked him. Isaac speaks up. He notices that something is not quite right. Everything is not together. And he says, says, Father, 
Yes, my son, the fire and wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham's response, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. I don't know exactly what what Abraham was thinking. How he believed this story would end. He certainly knew that God was asking something from him. And us as readers, when we read this, we know that this is a test. But Abraham had no idea that this was a test. For he had bound his son, taken his knife, was ready to slay his son in obedience to God. In a moment of spiritual crisis... Abraham trusted God and he obeyed God. Have you ever been in a moment of personal spiritual crisis? Has your faith in God ever been at a breaking point? Have you ever experienced circumstances in your own life where you began to question God and wonder if believing and following the God of this book is really worth it? If so, how did you respond? No doubt that is where Abraham was here. And he responded with trust. He responded with obedience. And no, he didn't realize it. But his response to his son in verse 8, saying that the Lord would provide the lamb for the burnt offering, spoke centuries ahead, 2,000 years ahead, to a story of a lamb being provided as a sacrifice for the sin of the world. And in the context of all of God's word, the words of Abraham to his son Isaac in Genesis chapter 22 ought to remind us of some other words, some words of a famous preacher, a preacher who came just before Jesus himself when he saw Jesus coming and he said to the crowds, Look, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Abraham's story And his words pointed far forward to the greatest story in human history. The story of the crucifixion of the Lamb of God for the sins of the world. A story that when we hear, when we read, ought to bring every single listener and every single reader to a moment, a point of spiritual crisis before God. Asking, how are we going to respond to this story? How are we going to respond to the central story of God's revealed word? You see here, the words of Isaac. See, ask where the lamb was for the burnt offering. Spoke tremendous truth about what God requires from his people. And we read of burnt offerings from Abraham's time on forward Centuries later, and a burnt offering essentially was a sacrifice that must be made before God, by the people of God, for their sins, before a perfect and holy and righteous, sinless God. And century after century after century, God required of His people and dealt with His people and allowed His people to sacrifice a substitute offering for their sin rather than giving their life for their sin before Him. Time and time again, allowing a substitute, usually an animal, to be sacrificed for their sin. But we know of one who is the once and for all substitute offering. 
The perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb of God who was indeed laid down for, for us. Took the penalty and the punishment for sin that you and I and the rest of humankind deserve so that we could be reconciled to our Maker, so that we could know God, so that we could live with God, so that we could be restored to right relationship with God. Have you wrestled? I mean, really wrestled with the reality of that story. The message of the gospel, the message that is at the heart of God's word. Have you wrestled with what the Bible claims, what Christian faith is all about, what the crucifixion in your place and my place is all about, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from the dead is all about. Folks, the God who has demonstrated his great love for us in and through Jesus invites us to respond to him by demonstrating our great love for him through a life of obedience and trust to him. Abraham's obedience and trust in God paid tremendous dividends in his own life, in his own walk with God, and we see that in the rest of the story. So look back with me quickly to Genesis chapter 22 as we pick up the story in verse 11. Remember that verse 10, Abraham is ready to slay his son. Isaac is bound. Verse 11, But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He replied, do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Church, faithful believers enjoy God's provision for worship. Faithful believers enjoy God's provision for worship. The question that Isaac asked of his father was essentially, Father, where is, where is the lamb? Where is the animal? Where is the substitute that, that must be sacrificed for our sins so that we can rightly worship God? And we read here the story that God provided the substitute. He provided for worship. He provided for proper worship. Earlier we spoke of a substitute. And perhaps there are other things that come to your mind when you think of a substitute. For many of us, we probably think of a substitute teacher. What is a substitute teacher? A substitute teacher is one who is able to fulfill the obligations of a teacher who is not able to on any given day. A substitute teacher must have the proper credentials and training and background checks and instructions. Substitute teacher is one that can fulfill a responsibility that someone else cannot fulfill. Well, folks, Jesus Christ is that kind of substitute for us and all sinners of the world because he is able to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He has provided the sacrifice, the perfect, spotless sacrifice. He has the credentials because he lived a perfect, sinless life on this earth. And he gave his life in our place that we might be restored into right relationship with God. That we might be forgiven from our sins. That God may be just and punish sin. And at the same time justify, declare innocent those who believe in him. And he proved that he is worthy to do so and capable of doing so by being raised from the dead. Folks, Jesus is our substitute. He is our ram caught in the thicket. And through him we can be right with our maker. And because of him we have reason to celebrate this morning on this Resurrection Sunday. The provision of Jesus Christ. Let me invite you to turn far to your right. Hold your place in Genesis. Turn far to your right in your Bible to the New Testament letter of the Romans. 
If you're using a pew Bible, I believe it's maybe 916, so 900 pages to the right. Fast forward many years to Paul's letter to the Romans. And there we read in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 32, we read that he who did not spare his own son, speaking of God, God the Father, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Folks, God, our maker, our creator, has freely and graciously given his own son in our place that we might have eternal life in him. It was never God's intent for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. As we're told in the word of God, this was a test. And we know from elsewhere in God's word that God does not delight in child sacrifice as many of the pagan gods did of that day. But there is another son, his one and only son, whom it was his intent from before time began to sacrifice in our place that we might be right with him, that we might be forgiven of our sins. Folks, have you received this provision? Have you received God's provision of of worship, of restoration with Him through Jesus Christ. Most well-known verse in all of the Bible, John 3.16, speaks to the heart of the message of the gospel, the central truth of God's Word. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have, have eternal life. Folks, we receive God's provision by believing in His Son who is our provision. Have you received God's provision? And secondly, if so, are you enjoying His provision? Are you enjoying the provision of Jesus Christ? There's nothing worth rejoicing over more than salvation by grace through faith in and through Jesus Christ. And if you know God, if you've been restored to right relationship with your maker, then you have every reason to rejoice this morning. For Christ died as our substitute and He has risen. He has been raised from the dead and He will return. He will come again for His people that we might live forever with Him. Let's live by that gospel truth. Let's stake our lives on that truth, the truth of the Word of God. For God who has demonstrated His great love for us invites us invites us into a relationship with Him in order to demonstrate our great love for Him. And one final truth from God's Word, Genesis chapter 22, and together with Romans chapter 8 that I want us to see this morning, and it is this, is that God assures, God assures faithful believers of their present and future condition. God assures faithful believers of their present and future condition. If you still have your place in Romans 8, you can... Mark that. Jump back with me to Genesis chapter 22 as we pick up the rest of the story. Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 15. And there we read, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. 
Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Folks, God rewarded Abraham for his faithfulness, rewarded Abraham for his obedience, and because of his obedience, Abraham serves as a great example for the rest of us of what it means to reverence God and to trust God and to obey God and to stake your lives, your life on the truth of God's word. And we also know that for the rest of us, every follower of Jesus Christ, ever, every believer, faithful believer in the God of Scripture, we also are assured of our present and future condition as well. And we're done so through God's Word in Romans chapter 8. So look back with me one last time at Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 35. You see, Abraham was promised numerous descendants, a great nation, ultimately an offspring who would be more important than every other offspring, an offspring who would be the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world and through whom all nations on the earth would be blessed. Now pick up Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 35. Paul writing, speaking to Christians, who shall separate us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38, for I am convinced. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, do you know that love? Do you know this tremendous love of God that, is the, that has been displayed through Jesus Christ? A love that we can never be separated from, that we will never be outside of if we know that love and the one who is that love. Jesus said, greater love is no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Folks, Jesus laid down his life for us, calling us his friends. Do you know that love? Do you know your condition before your maker? Do you know your, your status before God? Have you gone from death to life? Have you gone from hopelessness to great and everlasting hope? Have you gone from guilty to receiving the innocence, the purity of the one who is Jesus Christ? Have you gone from a life that is ruled by you, where you call all the shots, and live for you to a life that surrenders and bows before the one who is your God, the one who has demonstrated great love for you so that you might respond with great love and devotion for him. I want to want to conclude by posing the question that I believe is at the heart of this message. In fact, at the heart of, of God's word, at the heart of the message of Easter, and it is this, do you know where you stand before God? Do you know where you stand before God? Do you know your condition before your maker? Do you know your present and future status before 
the one who is the great I am. Folks, if you don't know, God invites you to know. He invites you to know. He calls you to know through faith in Jesus. Through receiving tremendous sacrifice of his one and only son in our place. You can know today if you don't know. Just a moment. We're going to have a time of response. And let me encourage you to respond to the truths of God's word. To respond to the message of the cross and the resurrection. To respond by praising God. To respond by worshiping God. To respond by trusting in Jesus for salvation. To respond by giving your life to the one who is worthy of your all. In just a moment, we're going to do something a little bit different from what we normally do, but time of extended response. And I want to invite you, as you've heard already today, you know that a family very dear to this church has experienced great tragedy, sudden loss of a child unexpectedly. I want to invite you to pray for them Pray that the hope of the resurrection will be felt and known. You may know them well. You may not know them at all. But as people of God, let's pray that God's presence would be near to them, that it would comfort them. Let's also pray that as a church family, we would experience the hope of the resurrection today. Let's pray that this community would experience the hope of the cross today. And so I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to stand and Sing together, pray together. Let's respond to the one who is worthy today. In fact, I'm going to ask if, if Ben, our minister of students, would be down front with me, if James, discipleship pastor, would be down front as well. Let me invite you to respond as the Lord leads you. If the Lord leads you to stay where you are and to pray, to cry out to Him, then you do so. If the Lord leads you to come, come down here to Treat this platform as an altar saying, I lay my life before you, Lord, and I desire you to to lead me and to shape me and to be near me and this family. And you do so. But let's treat this as a time of prayer and praise that reflects the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Know that we'll be available down front if we can serve you in any way. If the Lord is working in your life, perhaps you don't know Christ and if you have questions about that, please, please come. Come and talk with us. Allow us to pray with you. Let's pray together and then let's respond together. Father, we are grateful for, for this day. We are grateful for your provision. Lord, we're grateful for the way that you provide for our basic needs day after day after day after day. But Lord, even more so today, we are thankful for your provision of salvation in and through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we as your people, as your church, would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our, Christ, of our faith, Lord. That we would seek you, that we would serve you, that we would live for you, that we would lift one another up in prayer to you. For you are able, for you are worthy, for you are gracious, Lord, for you are good. Hear our praise now. Lord, move among us, lead us as your people. And it's in Jesus' name I pray and I say, Amen.